Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don Quixote in England by Henry Fielding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Introduction Manager, Author No prologue, sir. The audience will never bear it. They will not bait you anything of their due. I am the audience's very humble servant, but they cannot make a man write a prologue, whether he can or no. Why, sir, there is nothing easier. I have known an author to bring three or four to the house with one play, and give us a choice which we would speak. Yes, sir, and I have now three in my pocket written by friends, of which I choose none should be spoke. How so? Because they have been all spoke already twenty times over. Let me see them, pray. They are written in such damned cramped hands, you will never be able to read them, but I will tell you the substance of them. One of them begins with abusing the writings of all my contemporaries, lamenting the fallen state of the stage, and lastly assuring the audience that this play was written with a design to restore true taste, and they're approving it as the best symptom they can give of their having any. Well, a very good scheme. Maybe so, but it hath been the subject of almost every prologue for these ten years last past. The second is in a different cast. The first twelve lines convey against all indecency on the stage, and the last twenty lines show you what it is. That would do better for an epilogue. But what is the third? Why, the third has some wit in it, and would have done very well, but for a mistake. Aye, what mistake? Why, the author never read my play, and taking it for a regular comedy of five acts, hath fallen very severely on farce. However, it is a pretty good one, and will do very well for the first genteel comedy you bring on the stage. But don't you think a play, with so odd a title as yours, requires to be a little explained? May they not be too much surprised at some things? Not at all. The audience, I believe, are all acquainted with the character of Don Quixote and Sancho. I have brought them over into England and introduced them at an inn in the country, where I believe no one will be surprised that the knight finds several people as mad as himself. This I could have told them in forty dull lines if I would, but I rather chose to let it alone. For to tell you the truth, I can draw but one conclusion from the prologues I have ever seen, that the authors are so sensible of the demerits of their plays that they desire to set the audience asleep before they begin. But what real use is a bill of fare to any entertainment, where the guests are not left to their choice what part they will pick at, but are obliged to swallow the whole indifferently? Enter a player. Sir, the audience makes such a noise with their canes that if we don't begin immediately, they will beat the house down before the play begins. And it is not advisable to put them out of humour, for there are two or three of the loudest cat calls in the gallery that ever were heard. 
I'll be not frightened at that. Those are only some particular friends of mine, who are to put on the face of enemies at first and be converted at the end of the first act. Order, then, to play away the overture immediately. Come, sir, what do you do with yourself? I shall dispose myself in some part of the house where I shall see and not be seen. And I can assure you, sir, if the audience are but half as well entertained with this play as I shall be myself, it will go off with universal applause. Don Quixote in England Act One, Scene One Scene, an inn Guzzle, Sancho Never tell me, sir, of Don Quixote or Don Beelzebub. Here's a man comes into my house and eats me out on it, and then tells me he's a knight errant. <laughs> he is an errant rogue, and if he does not pay me my bill, I'll have a warrant for him. My master fears no warrant, friend. Had you ever been in Spain, you would have known that men of his order are above the law. Tell me not of Spain, sir. I am an Englishman, where no one is above the law. And if your master does not pay me, I shall lay his Spaniard ship fast in a place where he shall find it as difficult to get out of as your countrymen have found it to get into Gibraltar. That's neither here nor there, as the old saying is. Many are shut into one place and out of another. Men bar houses to keep rogues out and jails to keep them in. He that's hanged for stealing a horse today has no reason to buy oats for him tomorrow. Sirrah, your horse, nor your ass neither, shall have any more oats at my expense. Never were masters and their beasts so like one another. The Don is just such another lean ramscallion as his, what do you call him, his Rosinante? And thou art just such another squat bag of guts as thy dapple. Send my house and my stable once well emptied of you, and if I ever suffer a Spaniard to enter my doors again, may I have a whole company of soldiers quartered on me. For if I must be eaten up, I had rather suffer by my own country rogues than foreign ones. Exit. Air one. Rogues there are of each nation, except among the divines, and vinegar since the creation hath still been made of all wines. Against one lawyer lurch, a county scarce can guard. One parson does for a church, one doctor for a churchyard. Scene two, Don Quixote, Sancho. Sancho! And please, your honor. Come hither, Sancho. I smell an adventure. And so do I, and please, your worship. The landlord of the house swears bitterly that he will have a warrant against us. What landlord? What house? Wilt thou never be in thy senses? Are we not in a castle? No, Mary, we are not. But we are in a fair way to be in one. What dost thou mean, oaf? I mean that I shall see your honour in a jail within these two days. Me in a jail? Ha, caitiff! Aye, sir, we are got into a terrible country, 
A man's quality ear can't defend him if he breaks the laws. Then indeed, knight-errantry were of no use. But I tell thee, caitiff, jails in all countries are only habitations for the poor, not for men of quality. If a poor fellow robs a man of fashion of five shillings, to jail with him. But the man of fashion may plunder a thousand poor, and stay in his own house. But no, thou base squire of the great Don Quixote de la Mancha, that an adventure now presents itself, not only worthy me, but the united force of all the knights upon earth. Ah, oh, poor Sancho, there's an end to thee. A leg or an arm will not suffice this boat. There is now arrived in this castle one of the most accursed giants that ever infested the earth. He marches at the head of his army that howl like Turks in an engagement. Oh, lud, oh, lud, this is the country squire at the head of his pack of dogs. What dost thou mutter, Violet? Why, sir, this giant that your worship talks of is a country gentleman who is going a courting, and his army is neither more nor less than his kennel of foxhounds. Oh, the prodigious force of enchantment! Sirrah, I tell thee, this is the giant Toglog-Magoglog, lord of the island of Gogmagog whose belly has been the tomb of above a thousand strong men. Of about a thousand oxhead of strong beer, I believe. This must be the enchanter Merlin. I know him by his dogs. But thou idiot, dost thou imagine that women are to be hunted like hares, that a man would carry his hounds with him to visit his mistress? Sir, your true English squire and his hounds are as inseparable as your Spanish and his Toledo. He eats with his hounds, drinks with his hounds, and lies with his hounds. Your true errant English squire is but the first dog-boy in his house. Oh, tis pity, then, that fortune should contradict the order of nature. It was a wise institution of Plato to educate children according to their minds, not to their births. These squires should sow that corn which they ride over. Sancho, when I see a gentleman in his own coach-box, I regret the loss which someone has had of a coachman. The man who toils all day after a partridge or a pheasant might serve his country by toiling after a plough. And when I see a low, mean, trickling lord, I lament the loss of an excellent attorney. Singing within. But hark, some courteous lady in the castle prepares an entertainment for my ears. Air two, Tweedside. Oh, think not the maid whom you scorn, with riches delighted can be. Had I a great princess been born, my Billy had dear been to me. In grandeur and wealth we find woe, in love there is nothing but charms. On others your treasures bestow, give Billy alone to these arms. In title and wealth what is lost, in tenderness oft is repaid. 
Too much a great fortune may cost. Well purchased may be the poor maid. Let gold's empty show cheat the great. We more real pleasures will prove, while they in their palaces hate. We in our poor cottage will love. Scene three. Don Quixote, Guzzle, Sancho. Most illustrious and most mighty lord, how shall I sufficiently pay you for those sounds with which I have been ravaged? Sir, I desire no other payment but of this small bill. Your worship's cattle are saddled, and it is a charming day for traveling. Nothing, my lord, shall ever tempt me to leave you, till what I have this day seen within the castle walls be utterly demolished. Guzzle aside. So he has seen the sirloin of beef at the fire, I find. But if your worship intends to stay any longer, I hope you design to satisfy this small matter here. I am in great necessity, I assure you. To which mean actions does necessity force men? That ever a mighty lord should be obliged to borrow money. I am ashamed to ask your worship so often for this trifle, but... My lord, I see you are. I see a generous confusion which spreads your face. I am so poor, and please your honor, that it will be quite charity in you. It is the same as if you gave it me. My lord, I am more confused than you. But do not think it a gift, since I see you look so backward to receive it in that light. And since, my lord, everything I have, saving to the charming Dulciana de Toboso, her fixed and unalterably right, be justly yours. Give me leave to call it a debt, my lord. Sancho, pay his lordship a thousand English guineas. If your worship will please to tell me where I shall get them... But there's no pain with an empty hand. Where nothing is, nothing can come on. Twelve lawyers make not one honest man. Cease thy impertinence, and pay the money immediately. If I have seen the colour of gold this fortnight, may I never see Teresa Panja again. I am confounded, my lord, at the extravagance of my squire who, out of the spoils of so many giants he hath plundered, should not have reserved enough to oblige your lordship with such a trifle. But if you know any one who will disburse that sum, or any other, I will sell him the reversion of the next island I conquer. Do you make a jest of me, sir? Be not incensed. I am sorry I am not able to give it to you. Sorry, forsooth. A pretty way of paying debts, truly. I fancy if I was to tell the excise man and my brewer, I was sorry I could not pay him, they would send me and sorrow to jail together. In short, sir, I must and I will have my money. You must get the philosopher's stone before you can make any money of us. You shall neither eat nor drink any more in my house till I am paid. That I'm resolved. I wish your worship would think of changing your quarters. If it must be a blanketing, why let it be a blanketing? I have not eat anything these twelve hours, and I don't find I'm like to fare much better for the next twelve. 
and by that time I shall be so light you may as well toss a feather in a blanket. Sancho, come hither. I intend to make thee my ambassador. Why, truly, sir, that's a post I should like hugely well. Your ambassadors leave rare fat lives, they say, and I should make a very good ambassador, I can assure your worship. Thou shalt go, my ambassador, to the court of Dulciana del Toboso. Well, suppose it is equal to your worship what court you send me to, and, to say the truth, I had rather go to some other, for though my lady Dulcinea is a very good woman, yet she has got such a wanchy trick of being chanted, and I fancy your ambassadors fare but ill in your chanted courts. Reptile, reply not on thy life, but go and prepare thyself for thy journey. Then come to me and receive further instructions, for thou shalt set out this very evening. But, ah, oh, the charming voice begins again. Air three, why will Florella, etc. Dorotea sings within. The pain which tears my throbbing breast, what language can deplore? For how should language have expressed a pain ne'er felt before? In other virgin wounded hearts, love's cruel sport we see, but the most cruel of his darts he has reserved for me. Unhappy princess! Thy curse, O Tantalus, I'd prize, thy curse a bliss would prove. Ah, heaven were kind, if with my eyes I could enjoy my love. Enchanted thus romances tell, their moans poor virgins make. But where is found the powerful spell, can this enchantment break? Ah, oh, in this arm tis found. Look forth, most adorable, though most unhappy princess. Look forth and behold whom fate has sent to your relief, the most renowned knight of the woeful figure, the invincible Don Quixote de la Mancha, for whose victorious arm alone this adventure is reserved. O oh, cursed enchanter, dost thou keep this charming princess invisible to my eyes? Open the castle gates, open them this instant, Whoever is on the guard, or you shall feel the force of my attack. You shall find, caitiffs, that one single night is too many for you all. He attacks the walls and breaks the windows. Scene 4. Don Quixote, Guzzle, and Mob. Heyday! What in the devil's name are you doing? What, do you intend to beat down my house? Thou most uncourteous lord! Deliver the princess whom thou so unjustly dost detain, or think not that all the enchanters on earth shall preserve thee from my vengeance. Don't tell me of princesses and lords. I'm no lord, I'm an honest man, and I can tell you, you may be a gentleman, but you don't act like one, to break a poor man's windows in this manner. Deliver the princess, caitiff. Pay me my bill, sir, and go out of my house, or I'll fetch a warrant for you. I'll see whether a man is to have his victuals eat up and drink drank out, and windows broken, his walls shattered, and his guests disturbed for nothing. Ungracious knight, who so often throwest in my teeth that small entertainment, which thou art obliged to give men of my heroic profession. 
I believe, indeed, your profession does oblige people sometimes to give, whether they will or no. It is too plain, thou wretch, that thou wouldst have me gone. Thou knowest the delivering of this high lady thou dost detain is reserved for me alone. But deliver her this moment with all her attendants, all her plate and jewels which thou hast robbed her of. Hear this, neighbors. I am accused of stealing plates and jewels, when everybody knows I have but five dozen of plates, and those I bought and paid for honestly. And as for jewels, the devil of any jewels are there in this house, but two bobs that my wife wears in her ears, which were given her by Sir Thomas Loveland at his last election. Cease thy equivocations, and deliver them this instant, or thou shalt find how vainly thou dost trust to all those giants at thy heels. The mob laugh. Do you mock me, caitiffs? Now, thy most incomparable Dulcina del Toboso, assist thy valiant knight. He drives them off and exit. Scene 5. A Chamber. Dorotea, Jezebel. <laughs> In spite of all my misfortunes, I cannot help laughing at the pleasant adventure of the knight of the woeful figure. Do you think, madam, this is the very same Don, what you call him, whom your father saw in Spain, and of whom he has told us such pure, pleasant stories? The same, it can be no other. Oh, Jezebel, I wish my adventure may end as happily as those of my namesake Dorothea's did. I am sure they are very near as romantic. But have I not reason to blame fair love for suffering me to be here before him? The lover that does not outfly his mistress's desires is slow indeed. And let me tell you, madam, he must be very swift who does. Air four. Oh, hasten, my lover, dear Cupid. Wing hither the youth I admire. The wretch is too lazy and stupid, who leaves me but time to desire. Let prudes who leave lovers in anguish themselves in their fonder fits stay, but leave not the virgin to languish who meets her true lover halfway. Well, I'm a mad girl. Don't you think this husband of mine, that is to be, will have a delightful task to tame me? By what I can see, he's in a pretty fair way to be tamed himself. Scene 6. Sancho, Dorotea, Jezebel. Pray, ladies, which of you is the chanted princess? Or are you both chanted princesses? What is it to you what we are, saucebox? Peace, dear Jezebel. This must be the illustrious Sancho himself. I am the Princess Indo-Calambria. My master, the knight of the woeful figure, and a woeful figure he makes, sure enough, sends your ladyship his humble service and hopes that you will not take it amiss that he has not been able to knock all the people in the house on the head. However, he has made it pretty well up in breaking the windows. Your ladyship will lie pure and cool, for the devil a whole pain is there in all your apartment. If the glazier had hired him, he could not have done better. Thou mighty squire of the most mighty knight upon earth, give my grateful thanks to your master for what he has undertaken upon my account, but tell him not to get his precious bones bruised any more, for I am sufficiently assured this adventure is reserved for some other knight. Nay, nay, like enough. 
all men cannot do all things one man gets an estate by what another gets a halter all is not fish that swims many a man wants a wife but more want to get rid of one two cuckolds see each other's horns when neither of them can see their own money is the fruit of evil as often as the root of it charity seldom goes out of your own house and ill nature is always a rambling abroad every woman is a beauty if you will believe her own glass and few if you will believe her neighbours <laughs> pray mr sancho might not one hope to see your illustrious master nothing would rejoice his heart so much madam unless it were to see my lady dulcinea herself ah madam might i hope your ladyship will speak a good word for me name it and be assured of anything in my power honest sancho if your princessship could but prevail on my master that i might not be sent home after my lady dulcinea for to tell you the truth madam i am so fond of the english roast beef and strong beer that i don't intend ever to set foot in spain again if i can help it give me a slice of roast beef before all the rarities of camacho's wedding bravely said noble squire air five the king's old courtier when mighty roast beef was the englishman's food it ennobled our hearts and enriched our blood our soldiers were brave and our courtiers were good oh the roast beef of old england and old england's roast beef then britons from all nice dainties refrain which effeminate Italy, France, and Spain, and mighty roast beef shall command on the main, O oh, the roast beef of old England, and old England's roast beef. O oh, the roast beef of old England, and old England's roast beef. I have been told, noble squire, that you once imposed a certain lady for Dulcinea on your master. Now what think you, if this young lady here should personate that incomparable princess? Who, I... Adored, your princessship is it it, for he has never seen this Dulcinea, nor has anybody else that I can hear of, and who my lady Dulcinea should be, I don't know, unless she be one of your chanted ladies. The curate of our parish and Mr. Nicholas the barber have often told me there was no such woman and that my master was a madman and sometimes i am half at a loss to guess whether he be mad or no i'm sure if it was not for the sake of a little island that i am to govern i should not have followed his errantries so long fie do not entertain such unworthy thoughts of that most glorious knight nay madam i can't find it in my heart to think him mad neither for he will talk sometimes to do one good to hear him talk and he will talk he three hours and i shan't understand one word he says our curate was a fool to him and yet he has talked what i could not understand neither but that's neither here nor there 
An empty purse causes a full heart. An old woman's a very bad bribe, but a very good wife. Conscious often stops at a molehill and leaps over a mountain. The law guards us from all evil by itself. What's vice today is virtue tomorrow. Tis not only plums that make a pudding. Physic makes you first sick and then well. Wine first makes you well and then sick. And your proverbs would make the devil sick. Lose no time, good Sancho, but acquaint the most invincible knight that the Lady Dulcinea is in the castle. We'll manage the matter so dexterously you shall be in no danger of a discovery. Since my bringing the last Dulcinea to him, I do not fear that. He that can swallow a goose will hardly keck at a gander. The bear may well dance when the ass plays on the fiddle. Exit Sancho. Scene 7. Dorotea Jezebel. <laughs> well, for the future I will never disbelieve a traveller. The knight and his squire are full as ridiculous as they were described. We shall have rare diversion. Poor fair love, thou art quite forgotten. I've rather reason to think Dorothea so. I am sure when a lover suffers his mistress to come first to the place of appointment, he cannot blame any innocent amusement with which she would shorten his absence. And to confess a truth to you, while I am still under apprehensions of the match my father intends for me, I have too great cause to try to divert my grief. Air 6. From Aberdeen to Edinburgh. Happy the animals who stray in freedom through the grove. No laws in love they e'er obey, but those prescribed by love. While we, confined to parents' rules, unfortunate are told, none follows love's sweet laws but fools. The wise are slaves to gold. Excellent. Scene 8. The street. Mr. Mayor and a voter. Well, neighbor, what's your opinion of this strange man that has come to town? Don Quixote, as he calls himself. Think? Why, that he's a madman? What should I think? He caught. It runs in my head that he has come to stand for Parliament man. How can that be, neighbor? They tell me he's a Spaniard. What's that to us? Let him look to his qualifications when we have chose him. If he can't fit in the house, that's his fault. Nay, nay, he can't be chose if he should stand for. To my certain knowledge, the corporation have promised Sir Thomas Loveland and Mr. Bouncer. <laughs> All promises are conditional. And let me tell you, Mr. Retail, I begin to smoke a plot. I begin to apprehend no opposition. And then we are sold, neighbor. No, no, neighbor. Then we shall not be sold. And that's worse. But rather than it should come to that, I would ride all over the kingdom for a candidate. And if I thought Sir Thomas intended to steal us in this manner, he should have no vote of mine, I assure you. I shall vote for no man who holds the corporation cheap. Then suppose we were to go in a body and solicit Sir Don Quixote to stand. As for his being mad, wow, he's out of bedlam, it does not signify. But there is another objection, neighbor, which I'm afraid the corporation will never get over. What's that, prithee? They say 
He has brought no money with him. Ha! <laughs> that indeed. But though he hath no money with him here, I am assured by his servant that he hath a very large estate. And so, if the other party come down handsomely with the ready, we may trust him. For you know, at last, we have nothing to do but not to choose him. And then we may recover all he owes us. I do not care to be sold, neighbor. Nor I neither, neighbor, by any but myself. I think that is the privilege of a free Briton. Scene 9. Guzzle, Mayor, Retail. Mr. Mayor, a good morrow to you, sir. Are you for a wet this morning? With all my heart. But what's become of the gentleman, the traveler? He's laid down to sleep, I believe, pretty well tired with work. What the devil to do with him, I can't tell. My neighbor and I have a strange thought come into our heads. You know, Mr. Guzzle, you're like to have no opposition, and that I believe you will feel the want of as much as any man. Now, do you see? We have taken it into consideration whether we should not ask the Sir Don to represent us. With all my heart, if either of you will hang out a sign and entertain him, but he is far enough in my books already. You are too cautious, Master Guzzle. I make no doubt, but he is some very rich man who pretends to be poor in order to get his election the cheaper. He can have no other design in staying among us. For my part, I make no doubt, but that he has come to stand on the court interest. Nay, nay, if he stands at all, it is on the court side, no doubt, for he talks of nothing but kings and princes and princesses and emperors and empresses. Aye, aye, an officer in the army, too. I warrant him, if we knew but the bottom. He seems indeed to be damnably fond of free quarter. But if you think he intends to offer himself, would it not be wiser to let him? For then, you know, if he spends never so much, we shall not be obliged to choose him. Brother Alderman, I have reproved you already for that way of reasoning. It favors too much of bribery. I like an opposition, because otherwise a man may be obliged to vote against his party. Therefore, when we invite a gentleman to stand, we invite him to spend his money for the honor of his party. And when both parties have spent as much as they are able, every honest man will vote according to his conscience. Mr. Mayor talks like a man of sense and honor, and it does me good to hear him. Aye, aye, Mr. Guzzle. I never gave a vote contrary to my conscience. I have very earnestly recommended the country interest to all my brethren. But before that, I recommend the town interest. That is, the interest of this corporation. And first of all, I recommended to every particular man to take a particular care of himself. And it is with a certain way of reasoning that he that serves me best will serve the town best. And he that serves the town best will serve the country best. See what it is to have been at Oxford. The parson in the parish himself can't out-talk him. Come, landlord, we'll have one bottle, and drink success to the corporation. 
These times come but seldom. Therefore we ought to make the best of them. Come along. Excellent. End of Act One. Act Two of Don Quixote in England by Henry Fielding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two, Scene One. Scene A Chamber in the Inn. Don Quixote, Sancho. Thou hast by this time fully perceive, Sancho, the extreme difficulties and dangers of knight-errantry. Ay, and of squire-errantry, too, and please your worship. But virtue is its own reward. Your worship may have a relish for these rewards, perhaps, but to speak truly, I am a poor plain man, and know nothing of these fine things. And for any reward I have hitherto got, I'd much rather have gone without it. As for an island, I believe I could relish it as well as another. But a man may catch cold while his coat is making. And since you may provide for me in a much easier way, if I might be so bold as to speak. Thou knowest I will deny thee nothing, which is fit for me to give, or thee to take. Then if your worship would be so good as to set me up in an inn, I should make a rare landlord, and it is a very thriving trade among the English. And couldst thou descend so low, ignoble wretch? Anything to get an honest livelihood, which is more than I find we are like to do in the way we are going on. For if I dare speak it... Speak fearlessly. I will only impute it to thy ignorance. Why, then I find, sir, that we are looked on here to be neither more nor less, better or worse, than a couple of madmen. Sancho, I am not concerned at the evil opinion of men. Indeed, if we consider who are their favorites, we shall have no reason to be so fond of their applause. Virtue, Sancho, is too bright for their eyes, and they dare not behold her. Hypocrisy is the deity they worship. Is not the lawyer often called an honest man, when for a sneaking fee he pleads the villain's cause, or attempts to extort evidence to the conviction of the innocent? Does not the physician live well in his neighborhood, while he suffers them to bribe his ignorance to their destruction? But why should I mention those whose professions tis to prey on others? Look through the world! What is it recommends men but the poverty, the vice, and the misery of others? This, Sancho, they are sensible of, and therefore, instead of endeavoring to make himself better, each man endeavors to make his neighbor worse. 
Each man rises to admiration by treading on mankind. Riches and power are cure to the one by the destruction of thousands. These are the general objects of the good opinion of men. Nay, and that which is professed to be paid to virtue is seldom more to anything than a supercilious contempt of your neighbor. Oh, what is a good-natured man? Why, one who, seeing the want of his friend, cries he pities him. Is this real? No, if it was, he would relieve him. His pity is triumphant arrogance and insult. It arises from his pride, not his compassion. Sancho, let them call me mad. I'm not mad enough to court their approbation. Oh, could your worship proceed? I could fast an hour longer to hear your discourse. Scene 2. Guzzle, Don Quixote, Sancho. And it please your honor, the mayor of the town has come to wait on you. Give him admittance. This is the chief magistrate of the place, who comes, I suppose, to congratulate me on my arrival. He might have come sooner, but the neglect of his duty is better than the total omission. In the meanwhile, Sancho, post thou away this instant to Toboso, and heaven prosper thy embassy. Sancho aside. Prosperity may travel with me, without tiring itself. Scene 3. Mayor, Don Quixote. I am your honor's most humble servant. Sir, I am glad to see you. And I think you are the chief officer of the town? Yes, and please your honor, I am Mr. Mayor of this town. I should have done myself the pleasure to have waited on you sooner, but I was quite ignorant of the design with which you came hither. Be seated, sir. You are a worthy man, and to your praise be it spoken, the first that has done his duty since my arrival. I can't answer for the whole town, but the corporation is as well affected a corporation as any in all England, and I believe highly sensible of the honor you intend them. No man knows his strength till he tries it, and... Notwithstanding what you may have heard of the Knight of the Long Purse, if you oppose him briskly, I dare answer for your success. Is there a knight on earth I dare not oppose? Though he had as many hands as Benarius, as many eyes as Argus, I should not fear him. This is a special stick of wood, I find. Aside. A benefit ticket. Adad. I see the reason of your apprehension. You have heard of my ill success in my last adventure. Oh, that was not my fault. Mayor, aside. I see he has been thrown out at some other place already. I don't in the least, sir, apprehend it was your fault. But there is nothing to be done without bleeding freely on these occasions. Ah, do you think I fear to bleed? Be not so passionate, sir. This, I assure you, you will do your business with less than any other. 
I suppose, sir, it may lie in your power to do some services to this town. Be assured it does. I will, for your sake, preserve it forever from any insults. No armies shall ever do you any harm. I assure you, sir, that will recommend you very much if you can keep soldiers from quartering upon us. We shall make very little difficulty in the affair. But I hope your honor will consider that the town is very poor, sir. A little circulation of money among us would... Sir, you make me concerned that it is not now in my power to give whatever you desire. But rest secure of this. There is not one whom you shall recommend that shall not, within this twelve-month, be governor of an island. Mayor aside. This is a courtier, I find, by his promises. But who is this knight who I am to encounter? Is he now in the castle? Yes, sir, he is now at Loveland Castle, a seat of his about ten miles off. He was here the very day before your honor came to town, randying for a knight of his acquaintance, with no less than six hundred freeholders at his heels. Hmm, those are a sort of soldiers I never heard of in Spain. How were they armed? Armed, sir? Aye, with carbines, with muskets, spears, pistols, swords, or how? I ask that I may choose proper weapons to encounter them. Ha! <laughs> Your honor is pleased to be merry. Why, truly, sir, they were pretty well armed when they went out of town. Every man had four or five bottles in his head, at least. Face-born cowards! who owe their courage to the spirit of their wine? But be easy, sir. Within these two days, not one of them shall be alive. Mary, heaven forbid! Some of them are as honest gentlemen as any in the county. Ah, honest, and in the train of the knight of the long purse. Do I not know him to be a deflower of virgins, a destroyer of orphans, a despoiler of widows, a debaucher of wives? Who? Sir Thomas Loveland, sir? Why, you don't know him. He's as good-natured, civil a gentleman, as a man may say. Why, then, do you petition me against him? Nay, sir, for that matter, let him be as civil as he pleases. One man's money is as good as another's. You seem to be a civil gentleman, too, and if you stand against him, I don't know which would carry it, but this I believe, you guess already, that he who spends most would not have the least chance. Ah, caitiff, dost thou think I would condescend to be the patron of a place so mercenary? If my services cannot procure me the election, Dost thou think my money should make me their knight? What should I get by undertaking the protection of this city and castle but dangers, difficulties, toils, and enchantments? Hence, from my sight, or by the peerless Dulciana's eyes, thy blood shall pay the affront thou hast given my honor. Oh, 
Was it for this that I was chosen in full senate the patron of La Mancha? Gods, to what will mankind degenerate? Where not only the vile necessaries of life, but even honors, which should be the reward of virtue only, are to be bought with money. Scene 4. Another Chamber. Squire Badger, Scut, his huntsman, and Guzzle. That's it, honeys. Oh, that's it. What? Have you no company in the house, landlord? Could not you find out an honest lad, one that could take a hearty pot? Faith, noble squire, I wish you had spoke a little sooner. Mr. Permit, the officer, is just gone out of the house. Your worship would have liked him hugely. He is rare good company. Well, but hang it, hast thou no body? I have not one guest in the house, sir, but a young lady and her maid, and a madman, and a squire, as he calls himself. Squire? Who, prithee? Squire. It is a cursed hard name. I never can remember it. Squire Pancho Sancho, he calls himself. Prithee? What is he? A weak or a Tory? Hey! Sir, I don't know what he is. His master and he have been here in my house this month and I can't tell what to make of them. I wish the devil at him before I'd seen him, the squire and his master both. What? Has the squire a master? I don't know which is master, nor which is man, not I. Sometimes I think one is master, and then again I think it is the other. I am sure I had rather be the squire, for he sleeps most, and eats most. He is as bad as a greyhound in a house. There is no laying down anything eatable, but if you turn your back, slap, he has it up. As for the knight, as he calls himself, he has more to pay for breaking windows than eating. Would I were well rid of him. He will sit you sometimes in the yard to guard the castle, as he calls it, but I am afraid his design is to rob the house, if he could catch an opportunity. I don't understand one word in ten of what he says. He talks of giants and castles and queens and princesses and chanters and magicians and dulcineas. He has been a mighty traveller, it seems. A comical dog, I fancy. Go, give my service to him. Tell him I should be glad of his company. Go. I'm afraid he is not in any of the best humours, for he was most confoundedly drubbed just now. Well, prithee go and call him. Here is some of the best physic for him. Come, Scott, sit down and sing that song once more. Air seven, mother, quoth Hodge, etc. The doctor is feed for a dangerous draught which cures half a dozen and kills half a score. Of all the best drugs the dispensary's taught, for well could each cure one disease and no more. But here's the juice of sovereign use, twill cure your distempers whatever they be. In body or spirit, wherever you bear it, take of this a large dose and it soon sets you free. By cunning directors, if strict of your pelf, your losses a dose of good claret can heal. Or if you have been a director yourself, twill teach you no loss of your honour to feel. Stocks fall or rise, tell truth or lies, your fame and your fortune here remedy find. If Sylvia be cruel, take this water gruel, twill soon cure the fever that burns up your mind. Scene 5. Don Quixote, Guzzle, Scut, and Badger. Most illustrious and mighty knight, I'm proud to kiss your hands. Your servant, sir, your servant. Aside. 
A devilish odd figure, this. To meet a person of your distinction is a happiness I little expected. Or I am much mistaken, but you are either the knight of the sun, or of the black helmet. Or of the black cap, sir, if you please. Hmm. Sir knight of the black cap, I rejoice in meeting you in this castle, and I wish the achievements of this glorious adventure, in which I have been, by the cursed power of the enchantment, foiled, may be reserved for you. Badger aside. This is honest cousin Tom, Faith, as mad as a March hare. Would thou guess, Sir Knight of the Black Cap, that this uncourteous person, the lord of this castle, should detain within his walls the most beautiful princess in the universe? The devil he does. Enchanted, and if I mistake not, by that enchanter Merlin, I humbly suppose the delivery of this princess was the design in which you came to this castle. Aye, aye, sir, I'll deliver her, I warrant you. But come, sir, pray, sir, may I crave the honour of your name? I am known, sir, in chivalry, by the name of the Knight of the Woeful Figure. Sir Knight of the Woeful Figure, will you please to sit down? Come, sir, here's to you. Landlord, draw your chair. How long, Sir Knight of the Woeful Figure, have you been in these parts? It is not, Sir Knight of the Black Cap, the business of a knight errant to number time, like the inferior part of mankind, by the days which he lives, but by the actions he performs. Perhaps you may have sojourned longer here than I. Are there many knights in this kingdom? Oh, numberless! There are your knights and baron knights and knights of the post, and then there are your blue knights and your red knights and your green knights. Well, may this kingdom be said to be happy when so many knights conspire for its safety. Come, let us be merry. We'll have a hunting song, sir knight. I should be glad to see you at my country seat. Come, Scott. Sing away. Air 8. There was a jovial beggar, etc. The dusky night rides down the sky and ushers in the morn. The hounds all join in glorious cry. The huntsman winds his horn, and a-hunting we will go. The wife around her husband throws her arms and begs his stay. My dear, it rains and hails and snows. You will not hunt today. But a-hunting we will go. A brushing fox in yonder woods, secure to find we seek. For why I carried sounded good a cartload there last week. And a-hunting we will go. Away he goes, he flies the route. Their steeds all spur and switch. Some are thrown in, and some thrown out, and some thrown in the ditch. But a-hunting we will go. At length his strength to faintness worn, poor Renard ceases flight. Then hungry homeward we return to feast away the night. Then a-drinking we will go. Ha, 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 Sir Knight of the Woeful Figure, this is the life, sir, of most of our knights in England. Hunting is a manly exercise, and therefore a proper recreation. 
but it is the business of a knight-errant to rid the world of other sorts of animals than foxes. Here is my dear Dorothea to you, the most beautiful woman in the world. Ah, Kev, dost thou dare say that in my presence, forgetting that the peerless Dulciana yet lives? Confess thy fault this instant, and own her inferior to Dulciana, or I will make thee a dreadful example to all future knights who shall dare dispute the incomparableness of that divine lady. Throw by your spit, sir, throw by your spit, and I don't fear you. Spud, I'll beat your lanthorn jaws into your throat, you rascal. Squire Badger offers to strike Don Quixote. Oh, that this fellow were at the devil. Dear squire, let him alone. Ah, I have discovered thee, impostor. Thanks, most incomparable lady, that hast not suffered thy knight to pollute his hands with the base blood of that impostor squire. Scene 6. Don Quixote, Sancho, Squire Badger. Oh, sir, I have been seeking your honor. I have such news to tell you. Sancho, uncase this instant, and handle that squire as he deserves. My lady Dulcinea, sir, has been abused, has been injured, by the slanderous tongue of that squire. But, sir... If thou expected to live a moment, answer me not a word till that caitiff hath felt thy fist. Nay, sir, with all my heart, as far as a cuff or two goes, I hate your squire errants that carry arms about them. I'll box you first one hand, second with both. Sirrah, I am able to beat a dozen of you if I don't lamb thee. They both strip. Maybe not, brother squire, maybe not. Threatened folks live long. High words break no bones. Many walk into a battle and are carried out on't. One ounce of heart is better than many stone of flesh. Dead men pay no surgeons. Safer to dance after a fiddle than a drum, though not so honourable. A wise man would be a soldier in time of peace and a parson in time of war. Scene 7. Mrs. Guzzle Squire Badger, Sancho. What in the devil's name is the matter with you? Get you and your master out of my house for a couple of pickpockets as you are. Sir, I hope your worship will not be angry with us. Stand away, landlord. Stand away, if I don't lick him. Come along out into the yard and let me have fair play. And I don't fear you. I don't fear you. Get you out, you rascal. Get you out or I'll be the death of you. I'll teach you to fight with your betters, you villain, you. I'll curry you, sirrah. Scene 8. Fair love, Squire Badger. I am sorry to see a gentleman insulted, sir. What was the occasion of this fray? 
I hope you are no knight-errant, sir. Sir? I say, sir, I hope you are no knight-errant, sir. You are merry, sir. Ay, sir, and you would have been merry too, had you seen such a sight as I have. Here is a fellow in this inn that outdoes all the shows I ever saw. He was going to knock my brains out for drinking my mistress's health. Perhaps he is your rival, sir. Odd! That's like enough, now I think, aunt. Who knows but this may be the son of a whore, fair love, whom I have been told on. Ha! As sure as a gun, this is he, odds bodikins, Mrs. Dorothea, you have a very strange sort of taste, I could tell you that. Do you travel towards London, sir? Because I shall be glad of your company. No, sir. I have not above fifteen short miles to go, and quite across the country. Perhaps you are going to Sir Thomas Loveland's. Do you know Sir Thomas, then, sir? Very intimately well, sir. Give me your hand, sir. You are an honest cock, I'll warrant you. Why, sir, I'm going to fall in love with Sir Thomas's daughter. You can't avoid that, sir, if you see her, for she is the most agreeable woman in the world. And then she sings like a nightingale. Now that is a very fine quality in a wife. For, you know, the more she sings, the less she'll talk. Some folks like women for their wit. Odds bodykins, it is a sign they have none of their own. There is nothing a man of good sense dreads so much in a wife as her having more sense than himself. Air 9, Lily Bulero like gold to a miser, the wit of a lass, more trouble than joy to a husband may bring. That fault's in the miser, and not in the mass. He knows not to use so precious a thing. Wit teaches how to arm your brow, a price for that treasure some husbands have paid. But wit will conceal it, and if you don't feel it, a horn's but a pimple, scarce seen on your head. Scene 9. Fair love, Squire Badger, John. Sir, sir. Well, what now? John whispers. How? Here? I saw her, sir, upon my honor. Fair love aside. I am the happiest of mankind. Brother traveler, farewell. What? Shan't we drink together? Another time, sir. I am in a little haste at present. Aside. Harky, John, I leave you with my rival. I need say no more. Dear Dorothea, ten thousand raptures are in the dear name. Exit. Scene 10. John, Squire Badger, Don Quixote. 
Hark ye, mister, what is your master's name, pray? Master, sir? I say, your master's name. What do you see in me that should make you ask me my master's name? I suppose you would take it very ill of me if I were to ask you what your master's name is. Do I look so little like a gentleman as to stand in need of a master? Oh, sir, I ask your pardon. Your dress, sir, was the occasion of my mistake. Probable enough. Among you country gentlemen, and really in town, gentlemen and footmen dress so like one another that it is somewhat difficult to know which is which. Maybe, sir, then you are only an acquaintance of this gentleman's. A travelling acquaintance. May I crave his name, sir? Oh, sir, his name, his name, sir, is Sir Gregory Nebuchadnezzar. He is a very rich Jew, an Italian by birth, born in the city of Cork. He is going into Cornwall to take possession of a small estate of twenty thousand pounds a year, left him the other day by a certain Dutch merchant's mistress, with whom he had an intrigue. He is a gentleman, sir, universally esteemed in the beau monde. Beau monde, pray, what's that? Beaumont, sir, is as much to say, a man of figure. When you say he is a man of the Beaumont, you mean just such another person as I am. You will pardon the ignorance of a country gentleman. Oh, sir, we of the Beaumont are never offended at ignorance. Quixote, within. Avant, caitiffs! Think not, thou most accursed giant, ever to enter within this castle to bring any more captive princesses hither. Hey, Day, what's the matter now? Coachman within. Open the gates, will ye? Are you mad? You, my lord of the castle, suffer them to be opened at your peril. One might think, by this noise, that we were at the outside of the opera house, at a ridotto. Scene 11. Mrs. Guzzle, John, Squire Badger. Oh, for heaven's sake, gentlemen, come and assist us. This mad Don Quixote will ruin my house. He won't suffer the stagecoach to come into the yard. Dear good gentlemen, come and speak to him. Oh, that I ever should live to see him. I am too much of a gentleman not to assist a lady in distress. Come, sir. After you, sir, I am not quite unbred. Oh, dear, sir. Scene 12. A Yard. Don Quixote armed Capapi, his lance in his hand, Sancho, Guzzle, Squire Badger, John, Mrs. Guzzle. Coachman within. If you don't open the gates this instant, I'll go to another inn. Brief within. Sir, I'll have your house indicted. I'll have your sign taken down. Gentlemen, here is a madman in the yard. Will you let me open the gates or no, sir? Open them, and I will show thee that I want no walls to secure me. Open them, I say. You shall feel the force of one single night. Dear gentlemen, will nobody knock his brains out? John, aside. This is the most comical dog I ever saw in my life. 
If I have anything to say to him while he has that thing in his hand, may I have it in my guts that moment. There, the gates are open. Now, thou peerless princess, Bolsiana. Exit. GG, boys. Exuant Sancho, etc. Scene 13. Mrs. Guzzle, Mr. Brief, Dr. Drench, Mr. Sneak, Mrs. Sneak, Miss Sneak, made with candles. Don't be frightened, my dear. There is no danger now. That's owing to me, my dear. If we had not got out of the coach, as I advised, we had been in a fine condition. Who is this fellow woman that has caused all this rout? Oh, dear Mr. Counselor, I am almost frightened out of my wits. He is the devil, I think. I can't get him out of my house. What? Have you no justice of the peace near you? You should apply to a justice of the peace. The law provides a very good remedy for these sort of people. I'll take your affair into my hands. Dr. Drench, do you know no neighbouring justice? What? Do you talk of a justice? The man is mad, and physic is proper for him than law. I'll take him in hand myself, after supper. I wish, Mr. Sneak, you would go into the kitchen and see what we can have for supper. Exit. Yes, my dear. I do. The fresh air of the downs, I protest, has got me an appetite. Ladies, how do you do after your fright? Doctor, I fancy a dram of that cordial you carry in your pocket would do the ladies no harm. Oh, you are a merry man, Mr. Counselor. Come, child. This way, ladies. Excellent women. Scene 14. Mr. Brief, Dr. Drench, Don Quixote, Sancho, Squire Badger, John. Huzzah! Hark! Hark! Agad, he has routed the coach and horses bravely. My landlord and the coachman won't overtake them one while, I warrant. Most illustrious and high lords, it is with great pleasure that I congratulate you on your delivery, which you owe only to the peerless Dulciana. I desire, therefore, no other return, but that you both repair immediately to Toboso and render yourselves at her feet. Poor man, poor man. He must be put to bed. I shall apply some proper remedies. His frenzy is very high, but I hope we will be able to take it off. His frenzy? His roguery? The fellow's a rogue. He is no more mad than I am. And the coachman and landlord both have very good actions at law against him. Sancho... Do you attend those princes to the richest and most beautiful apartments? Most illustrious princess, the governor of this castle is an enchanter, but be not alarmed at it, for all the powers of hell shall not hurt you. I will myself keep on the guard all this night for your safety, and tomorrow I expect you set forward for Toboso. Galen calls this frenzy the Frenabricum. My Lord Coke brings these people into the number of common cheats. I shall order him bleeding, glistering, vomiting, purging, blistering, and cupping. 
he may, besides an action of assault and battery, be indicted in the Crown. He may also have an action of damages and trespasses laid on him. In short, if he be worth £5,000, I don't question but to action him out on't. Come, Doctor, if you please, we will attend to the ladies. Extuent. Why, Mr. Quixote, do you know who these people were you called princes? One of them I take to be the Prince of Samatia, and the other of the Five Mountains. One of them is a lawyer, and t'other a physician. Monstrous enchantment! What odd shapes this Merlin transforms the greatest people into! But knight-errantry will be too hard for him at last. Exit. <laughs> a comical dog! If you will accept of one bottle of stout, brother traveller, it is at your service. With all my heart, sir, I'm afraid this fellow has no good champagne in his house. Excellent. Hey, is the coast cleared? Where in the devil's name has this mad master of mine disposed himself? For mad he is now, that's certain. This last adventure has put it past all manner of disputes. Ah, oh, poor Sancho, what will become of thee? Would it not be the wisest way to look out for some new master while thou hast any old bones in thy skin? And yet I can't find in my heart to forsake the old one. At least till I have got this small island, and then perhaps when I have it I shall lose it again as I did my former government. Well, if ever I do lay my fingers on an island more, I'll act like other wise governors, fall to plundering as fast as I can, and when I've made my fortune, why, let them turn me out if they will. Air 10, Black Joke the more we see of humankind, the more deceit and tricks we find in every land as well as Spain. For would he ever hope to thrive upon the mountains he must live, for naught but rogues in vales remain. The miser and the man will trick the mistress and the maid will nick, For rich and poor are rogue and whore, There's not one honest man in a score, Nor woman true in twenty-four. End of Act Two Act Three of Don Quixote in England by Henry Fielding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. 
For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Scene One. Scene, A Room. Fair Love, Dorotea, Mrs. Guzzle. Depend on it. You shall be made amends for your damage you have sustained from this heroic knight and his squire. You look like a very honorable gentleman, sir, and I would take your word for a great deal more than he owes me. But pray, Mrs. Guzzle, how came you by this fine dress in which the Lady Dulcina is to be exhibited? About a month ago, madam, there was a company of stage players here, and they stayed for above a fortnight acting their shows. But I don't know how it happened. The gentry did not give them much encouragement, so at last they all ran away, except the queen, whom I made bold to strip of her finery, which is all that I have to show for the whole reckoning. <laughs> poor queen, poor travelling princess. The devil travel with her to the world's end, so she travel not hither. Send me anything but stage players and knight errands. I'm sure fifty pounds won't make me whole again. Would your ladyship think it, madam? Beside other articles, she ran in tick twenty shillings for thunder and lightning. Scene two. Jezebel, Sancho, Fair Love, Dorotea, Mrs. Guzzle. Behold the peerless princess. <laughs> oh, I shall die. <laughs> Zooks, she'll put the real Dulcinea out of countenance. For no such gorgeous fine lady have I seen in all Toboso. Is the knight apprised, Mr. Sancho, of the approach of his minstrels? Yes, sir. It had like to have cost me dear, I'm sure. For when I told him of it, he gave me such a hug that I thought I should never have fetched breath any more in this world. I believe he took me for the Lady Dulcinea herself. But why booted and spurred, Mr. Sancho? Are you going on a journey? Yes, madam. Your ladyship knows I was ordered to go for my Lady Dulcinea. So what does me I but right into the kitchen, where I whipped and spurred about a sirloin of roast beef for a full half-hour? Then slap I returned to my master, whom I found leaning upon his spear, with his eyes lifted up to the stars, calling out upon my Toboso lady, as if the devil were in his guts. As soon as he sees me, Sancho, says he, with a voice like a great gun, wilt thou never have sufficiently stuffed thy wallet? Wilt thou never set out for Toboso? Heavens bless your honour's worship, and keep you in your senses, says I. I am just returned from thence. I am sure if you felt half the weariness in your bones that I do, you'd think you set out with a vengeance. Truly then, Sancho, you must have travelled by chantment. I don't know whether I travelled by chantment, but this I know, that about five miles off I met my lady Dulcinea. 
how says he and gives such a spring i thought he would have leapt over the wall i says i sure i know her ladyship he that has stood in the pillory ought to know what wood it is made of and a woman who walks the streets ought to know whether they are paved or no i hope he won't offer to be rude your ladyship need not fear that i dare swear he loves your ladyship so much he would not take a hundred pounds to come within a yard of you he's one of your high-bred sort of gentry and knows his distance should he offer to touch me i should faint if your ladyship pleases i'll convey you to a proper place where you may see my master and then i'll go and prepare him a little more for your arrival i'll go see this show i'm resolved and faith i begin to doubt which of my guests is the maddest scene three fair love dorothea shall we follow to the window and see the sport how can my dorothea think of trifling at this time had i found you at my first arrival i should scarce have invented this design but i cannot see any retardment twill be to our purpose why should we not fly away this instant who knows but you may be pursued i shall have no easy moment till you are mine beyond any possibility of losing you the morning will be time enough for i have taken such measures i shall not be missed till then besides i think there was something so lucky in your coming hither without having received my letter that i cannot suspect the happy success of our affair ah fair love would i were as sure it would be always in your will as it will be in your power to make me happy but when i reflect on your former life when i think what a rover you have been have i not a just occasion then for fear unkind dorothea air eleven have you heard of a frolicsome ditty etc would fortune the truth to discover of him you suspect as a rover bid me to some princess a lover no princess would billy pursue would heaven but grant me the trial a monarch should meet my denial and while other lovers i'd fly all i'd fly my dear billy to you whole ages my dolly enjoying is a feast that could never be cloying with thee while i'm kissing and toying kind fortune can give me no more with thee i'm so blessed beyond measure i laugh at all offers of treasure i laugh at all offers of pleasure thou art all my joy and my store with, with thee, thee i'm so blessed beyond, beyond measure, measure. I, I laugh, laugh at all offers of treasure. treasure. I, I laugh, laugh at all offers of pleasure. Thou art all my joy and my store. Scene four. Servants with lights before Sir Thomas and Guzzle. Landlord, how fares it? You seem to drive a humming trade here. Pretty well, considering the hardness of the times, and please your honor. Better times are a-coming. A new election is not far off. Ay, sir, if we had but an election once a year, a man might make a shift to pick up a livelihood. Once a year? Why, thou unconscionable rogue! The kingdom would not be able to supply us with malt. But prithee, whom hast thou in thy house, 
Any honest fellows? Ha! Here's Lawyer Brief, sir, and Dr. Drench. And there's Mr. Sneak and his wife. Then there's one Squire Badger of Somersetshire. Ho, ho! Give my service to him instantly. Tell him I should be very glad to see him. Yes, and please, Your Honor. Exit. This fellow is not quite of a right kidney. The dog is not found at the bottom. However, I must keep well with him till after the next election. Now for my son-in-law, that is to be, whom I long mightily to see, I'm sure his estate makes him a very advantageous match for my daughter. If she can but like his person, and if he be described right to me, I don't see how she can fail of doing that. Scene 5. Sir Thomas, Squire Badger, Guzzle, John. Here's the squire, and it please your honor. Mr. Badger, I'm your most humble servant. You're welcome into this country. I've done myself the honor, sir, to meet you thus far, in order to conduct you to my daughter. I suppose, sir, you may be Sir Thomas Loveland. At your service, sir. Then I wish, when you had been about it, you had brought your daughter along with you. <laughs> you are merry, sir. Ay, sir, and you would have been merry if you'd been in such company as I have been in. My lord, Spud, where's my lord? Oh, Spud, Sir Thomas, my lord Slang is one of the merriest men you ever knew in your life. He has been telling me a parcel of such stories. I protest, sir, you are so extremely well-bred you put me out of countenance. Sir Thomas, I am your most obedient humble servant. I suppose this lord can't afford to keep a footman, and so he wears his own livery. I wish, my lord, you would tell Sir Thomas the story about you and the Duchess of, what do you call her? Odd's heart. It is one of the pleasantest stories about how she met him in the dark at a masquerade and about how she gave him a letter and then about how he carried her to a... Uh, to a... Uh, to a... Uh, to a bagno. To a bagno. Aye, to a bagno. But, sir, uh, if I was not partly engaged in honour to court your daughter, I'd go to London along with my lord, where women are, it seems, as plenty as rabbits in a warren. Had I known as much of the world before as I do now, I believe I should scarce have thought of marrying. Who'd marry when my lord says here a man may have your great sort of ladies only for wearing a broidered coat, telling half a dozen lies, and making a bow? I believe, sir, my daughter won't force ye against your inclination. Force me? No, I believe not, Ecod. I should be glad to see a woman that should force me. 
If you come to that, sir, I'm not afraid of you, nor your daughter, neither. Sir Thomas aside. This fellow's a great fool, but his estate must not be lost. Uh, you misunderstand me, sir. I believe you will have no incivility to complain of from either me or my daughter. Nay, sir, for that matter, when people are civil to me, I know how to be civil to them again. Come, father-in-law of mine, that is to be, what say you to a cherishing cup, and you shall hear some of my lord's stories? As far as one bottle, squire, but you must not exceed. Nay, nay, thou may e'en sneak off when you please. My lord and I here are very good company by ourselves. Pray, my lord, go first. I'd have you think I have got some manners. Excellent. A very hopeful spark, this. But he has a great estate, and I have no notion of refusing an estate. Let the man be what he will. Scene 6 the Yard. Don Quixote, Sancho. How far dost thou think the advanced guards are yet from the castle? Sir? But perhaps she may choose to travel incognita, and may, for the greater expedition, have left those cursed, useless, heavy troops, her horse guards, to follow a month or two hence. How many coaches didst thou number? Truly, sir. They were so many I could not number them. I dare swear there were a good round baker's dozen at least. Sancho, thou wilt never leave debasing the greatest things in thy vile phrases. Wilt thou eternally put my patience to the test? Take heed, unworthy squire, when thou art talking of this incomparable and peerless princess, thou dost it not in any of thy low ribaldry. For if thou dost, by all the powers of this invincible arm... Oh, spare me, spare me! And if ever I offend your worship any more, if ever I crack a jest on my lady Dulcinea... Proceed. What knights attend her presence? They make such a glittering, sir, tis impossible to know one from the other. They look for all the world at a distance, like a flock of sheep. Ha! Again! Nay, sir, if your worship won't let a man talk in his own language, he must e'en hold his tongue. Every man is not bred at a varsity who looks for a courtier's tongue between the teeth of a clown. An ill phrase may come from a good heart. Many men, many minds. Many minds, many mouths. Many mouths, many tongues. Many tongues, many words. Cease thy torrent of impertinence, and tell me, is not the knight of the black eagle there? I marry he is, sir, and he of the black ram too. On they trot, sir, Cheat by Joel, sir, for all the world like two butter-women to market. Then comes my lady Dulcinea, 
all rampant in her coach, with half a score dozen maids of honour. "'Twould have done your heart good to see her. She looks and just like... "'Ah, like a milk-white dove amongst a flight of crows. "'To all the world, like a new half-crown piece amongst a heap of old brass farthings.' Scene seven, drawer with a light, brief, Don Quixote, Sancho. This way, sir. Take care how you tread. Ha! She approaches. The torches are already arrived at the gate. The grateful garum is alighted. Oh, thou most welcome of all knights, let me embrace thee. Let me alone, prithee fellow, or shall I have you laid by the heels? What, do you mean to rob me, eh? Is it possible the mighty Fulgoran should not know me? Know ye? Tis not to your advantage, I believe, to be known. Let me tell you, sirrah, you may be tried on the black act for going about disguised in this manner, and but that I shall go a better way to work with you, as good an indictment would lie on that act. Behold, sir! My lady Dulciana herself. Light on, boy. The next justice ought to be indicted for not putting the laws in execution against such fellows. Scene 8. Don Quixote, Sancho, Jezebel. Oh, most illustrious and most mighty princess, with what looks shall I behold you? With what words shall I thank you for this infinite goodness to your unworthy knights? Rise, sir. Do not overwhelm me with too much goodness, though to see you be inexpressible happiness, yet to see you here gives me some uneasiness, for, O most adorable princess, this castle is enchanted. Giants and captive ladies inhabit only here. Could I but be assured of your constancy, I should have no fear, but alas, there are so many instances of perjured men. Air Twelve cold and raw, etc. A virgin once was walking along in the sweet month of July, blooming beautiful and young. She met with a swain unruly. Within his arms the nymph he caught and swore he'd love her truly. The maid remembered, the man forgot what passed in the month of July. Eternal curses light on all such perjured wretches. But though you may be constant at first, when we have been married a great while, and have had several children, you may leave me, and then I should break my heart. Rather may the universal frame of nature be dissolved. Perish first all honesty, honor, virtue, nay, night errantry itself, that quintessence of all. Could I always remain young as I am now, but alack a day? I shall grow old, and then you will forsake me for some younger maiden. I know it is the way of all you men. You all love young flesh. You all sing. Air 13, Geminiani's Minuet Sweet's the little maid that has not learned her trade, Fears yet languishes to be taught. Though she's shy and coy, still she'll give you joy when she's once to compliance brought. Women full of skill, sooner grant your will, 
but often purchased are good for naught, sweets the little maid. Oh, most divine princess, whose voice is infinitely sweeter than the nightingale. Oh, charm my ears no more with such transporting melody, lest I find my joy too exquisite for sense to bear. Scene 9. Don Quixote, Sancho, Fair Love, Dorotea, Jezebel. Pity, illustrious knight, oh, pity an unhappy princess, who has no hopes of safety but from your victorious arm. This instant I am pursued by a mighty giant. Oh, most adorable Dulciana, unless some affair of your own forbid, permit your knight to undertake this adventure. You can't oblige me more. Nor me less. Oh, the devil take all giant adventures. Now I shall have my bones broke. I'd give an arm or two to secure the rest with all my heart. I'll e'en sneak off if I can and preserve the whole. Sancho, come here. Stand thou in the front and receive the first onset of the enemy. That so I may wait a proper opportunity while the giant is aiming at thy head to strike off his. Ah, sir, I have been a squire errantine to some purpose truly if I don't know better than to stand before my master. Besides, sir, every man in his way. I am the worst man in the world at the beginning of a battle, but a very devil at the end of it. Scene 10. John, Fairlove, Don Quixote, Dorotea, Jezebel. Oh, sir, undone, ruined. Sir Thomas himself is in the inn. You are discovered, and here he comes with a hundred and fifty people to fetch away Madame Dorothy. We know it, we know it. And were he to bring as many thousand, I'd show him one single night may be too many for them all. Ten thousand thanks, great knight. By heavens, I'll die by your side before I'll lose her. Now, thou most adorable princess Dulciana del Tobaso, now shine with all thy influence upon me. Sir Thomas within. Where is my daughter, villains? Where is my daughter? O oh, thou cursed giant Terkilagumbe, too well I know thy voice. Have at thee, caitiff. Dear Jezebel, I'm frightened out of my wits. My father, mister, or Fairlove will be destroyed. I am resolved. I'll rush into the middle of them and with my own danger put an end to the fray. Do so, and in the meantime I'll into the closet and put an end to a small bottle I have there. I protest I'm horribly frightened myself. Scene 11. Sancho Solus. There they are at it, pal-mal. Who will be knocked on the head, I know not. I think I'm pretty sure it won't be Sancho. I have made a shift to escape this bout, but I shall never get out of this cursed fighting country again as safe as I came into it. I shall leave some pounds of poor Sancho behind me. 
If this be the effect of English beef and pudding, would I were in Spain again. I begin to think this house or castle is chanted. Nay, I fancy the devil lives in it, for we have had nothing but battles since we have been here. My bones are not the bones they were a fortnight ago, nor are they in the same places. As to my skin, the rainbow is a fool to it for colours. It is like... What is it like? Ecot is like nothing but my master's. Well, master of mine... If you do get the day, you deserve it. I'll say that for you. And if you are well drubbed, why, you deserve that too. What had we to do with the princess and be hanged to her? Besides, I verily believe she's no more a princess than I am. No good ever comes from minding other men's matters. I seldom see any meat got by winding up another man's jack. I'll e'en take this opportunity, and while all the rest are knocking one another on the head, I'll go into the pantry and stuff both guts and wallet as long as they'll hold. Scene 12. Sir Thomas Dorothea. See, ungracious girl, see what your cursed inclinations have occasioned. I'm sure they are the cause of my misery. If fair love be destroyed, I never shall enjoy a moment's quiet more. Perhaps it were better for him if he were. I shall handle him in such a manner that the rest of his life shall not be much worth wishing for. Thus on my knees, sir, I entreat you by all the tenderness you ever professed to me, by all the joy you have so often said I gave you, by all the pain I now endure. Do not attempt to injure fair love. You can inflict no punishment on him, but I must feel much more than half. Is it not enough to pull me, tear me bleeding from his heart? Is it not enough to rob my eyes of what they love more than light or than themselves? Hinder me from all those scenes of bliss I painted to myself. Oh, hear me, sir, or kill me, and do not make this life you gave a curse. Away, you're no child of mine. Would you keep me from him, try to make him happy? That thought would be some comfort in his absence. I might perhaps bear to be no partaker of his happiness, but not so of his sufferings. Were he in a palace, you might keep me wretched alone. But were he in a prison, not all the powers on earth should keep me from him. Scene 13. Guzzle, Mrs. Guzzle, Constable, Don Quixote, Fairlove, John. We have made a shift, and it please your worship, to secure this mad fellow at last. But he has done us more mischief than ever it will be in his power to make us reparation for. Our house is ruined forever. There's not one whole window in it. The stagecoachman swears he'll never bring a company to it again. There's Miss Sneak above in fits, and Mr. Sneak, poor man, is crying, and Madam Sneak, she's a-swearing and stamping like a dragoon. 
Mr. Fairlove, you shall answer for this. As for that poor fellow there, I suppose you have hired him. Hark, fellow, what did this gentleman give you to do all this mischief? Oh, it is your time now, and you may use it. I perceive this adventure is not reserved for me. Therefore I must submit to the enchantment. Do you banter me, you rascal? Poor wretch! I scorn to retort thy injurious words. I'll make you know who I am presently, I will so. Dost thou then think I know thee not to be the giant Tergillicombo? Yet think not, because I submit to my fortune, that I fear thee? No, the time will come when I shall see thee the prey of some more happy knight. I'll knight you, you dog, I will. Do you hear, husband? I suppose he won't doubt whether he be mad any longer or no. He makes no more of his worship than if he were talking to a fiddler. I wish your worship would send him to jail. He seems to look most accursedly mischievous. I shall never think myself safe until he is under lock and key. Sir Thomas, I do not deserve this usage at your hands. And though my love to your daughter hath made me hitherto passive, do not carry the thing too far. For be assured, if you do, you shall answer for it. Aye, aye, sir, we are not afraid of that. Scene 14. Squire Badger, Sir Thomas, Dorotea, Fairlove, Don Quixote, Mrs. Guzzle. Oons, what's the matter with you all? It's the devil in the inn that you won't let a man sleep. I was as fast on the table as if I had been in a feather bed. Spod! What's the matter? Where's my lord slang? Dear squire, let me entreat you would go to bed. You are a little heated with wine. Oon, sir, do you say that I'm drunk? I say, sir, that I am as sober as a judge, and if any man says that I am drunk, sir, he is a liar and the son of a my dear, ain't I sober now? Oh, nauseous, filthy wretch. Poor George, a pretty good wench. I'll have a kiss. I'll warrant she's twice as handsome as my wife that is to be. Hold, dear sir, this is my daughter. Sir, I don't care whose daughter she is. For heaven's sake, somebody defend me from him. Let me go, dogs. Villain, thou hast better eat thy fingers than lay him rudely on that lady. Dear Mr. Badger, this is my daughter, the young lady to whom you intended your addresses. Well, sir, and ain't I making addresses to her, sir? Hey? Let me beseech you, sir, to attack her in no rude manner. Prithee, dost thou know who I am? I fancy if thou didst know who I was, 
thou wouldst not talk to me so. If thou dost any more, I shall lend thee a knock. Come, madam, since I have promised to marry you, since I can't be off with honour, as they say, why, the sooner it's done, the better. Let us send for a parthen and be married. Now I'm in the humour. Spuddigins, I find there is nothing in making love when a man's but once got well into it. I never made a word of love before in my life, and yet it is as natural, seemingly, as if I had been bound prentice to it. Sir, one word with you, if you please. I suppose you look upon yourself as a reasonable sort of person. What? That you are capable of managing your affairs, that you don't stand in need of a governor. Hey! And if this be true of you, is it possible you can prefer that wretch, who is a scandal to his very species, to this gentleman, whose person and parts would be an honor to the greatest of it? Has he made you his advocate? Tell him I can prefer three thousand to one. The usual madness of mankind. Do you marry your daughter for her sake? or your own. If for hers, sure tis something whimsical to make her miserable in order to make her happy. Money is a thing well worth considering in these affairs, but parents always regard it too much, and lovers too little. No match can be happy which love and fortune do not conspire to make so. The greatest addition of either illy supplies the entire absence of the other. Nor would millions a year make that beast in your daughter's eye preferable to this youth with a thousand. What have we here, a philosophical pimp? I can't help saying, but the fellow has some truth on his side. You are my eternal aversion. Look ye, madam, I could take a joke or so, but if you are in earnest... Indeed I am. I hate and despise you in the most serious earnest. To you? Then you may kiss. Spot, I can hate as well as you. Your daughter has affronted me here. Sir, what's your name? And I'll have satisfaction. Oh, that I were disenchanted for thy sake. Sir? I'll have satisfaction. My daughter, sir. Sir, your daughter, sir, is a son of a whore, sir. Spod, I'll go find my lord slang. A fig for you and your daughter, too. I'll have satisfaction. Exit. A Turk would scarce marry a Christian slave to such a husband. How oh, this man was misrepresented to me. Fellows, let go your prisoner. Mr. Fairlove, can you forgive me? Can I make you any reparation for the injustice I have shown you on this wretch's account? Ha! Huh. If the immediate executing all my former promises to you can make you forget my having broken them, and if, 
as I have no reason to doubt, your love for my daughter will continue. You have my consent to consummate as soon you please. Hers, I believe, you have already. Oh, transport! Oh, blessed moment! No consent of mine can ever be wanting to make him happy. Air 14 Thus the merchant, who with pleasure, long adventured on the main, hugging fast his darling treasure, gaily smiles on past toils, well repaid for all his pain. Thus the nymph, who dream affrighting with her lover's death alarms, wakes with transports all delighting, madly blessed when caressed in his warm entwining arms. Lord bless him, who could have parted them that hadn't a heart of oak? Here are the fruits of knight errantry for you. Here is an instance of what admirable service we are to mankind. I find some adventures are reserved for Don Quixote de la Mancha. Don Quixote de la Mancha? Is it possible that you can be the real Don Quixote de la Mancha? Truly, sir, I have had so much ado with enchanters that I dare not affirm whether I am really myself or no. Sir, I honor you much. I have heard of your great achievements in Spain. What brought you to England, noble Don? A search of adventures, sir. No place abounds more with them. I was told there was a plenteous stock of monsters, nor have I found one less than I expected. Scene 15. Don Quixote, Sir Thomas, Fairlove, Dorotea, Guzzle, Mrs. Guzzle, Brief, Dr. Drench. I'll have satisfaction. I won't be used after this manner for nothing, while there is either law or judge or justice or jury or crown office or actions of damages or on the case or trespasses or assaults and batteries. What's the matter, Mr. Counselor? Oh, Sir Thomas, I am abused, beaten, hurt, maimed, disfigured, defaced, dismembered, killed, massacred, and murdered by this rogue, robber, rascal, villain. I shan't be able to appear at Westminster Hall the whole term. It will be as good as three hundred pounds out of my pocket as was ever taken. If this madman be not blooded, cupped, sweated, blistered, vomited, purged, this instant... He will be incurable. I am well acquainted with this sort of frenzy. His next paroxysm will be six times as strong as the former. Pah! The man is no more mad than I am. I should be finally off if he could be proved non-compass mentis. Tis an easy thing for a man to pretend madness ex post facto. Pretend madness? Give me leave to tell you, Mr. Brief, I am not to be pretended with. I judge by symptoms, sir. Symptoms? Gad, here are symptoms for you if you come to that. Very plain symptoms of madness, I think. Very fine indeed. Very fine doctrine. Very fine indeed. A man's beating of another is a proof of madness, so that if a man be indicted, he has nothing to do but to plead non compos mentis, and he's acquitted of course. So there's an end of all actions of assaults and battery at once. Scene 16. Sir Thomas, Cook, Don Quixote, Sancho, Fairlove, Dr. Drench, Servants hailing in Sancho. Heyday! What's the matter now? 
Bring him along. Bring him along. Ah, master, no wonder you've complained so long of missing your victuals. For all the time you were out in the yard, this rogue has been stuffing his guts in the pantry. Nay, he has not only done that, but everything he could not eat, he's crammed into that great sack there which he calls a wallet. Thou scandal to the name of squire! Wilt thou eternally bring shame on thy master by these little pilfering tricks? Nay, nay, you have no reason to talk, good master of mine. The receiver's as bad as the thief. And you have been glad, let me tell you, after some of your adventures, to see the inside of the wallet as well as I. What a pox are these your errantry tricks to leave your friends in the lurch? Slave, caitiff. Dear knight, be not angry with the trusty Sancho. You know, by the laws of knight-errantry, stuffing the wallet has still been the privilege of the squire. If this gentleman be a knight-errant, I wish he would make me his squire. I'm pacified. Landlord, to be easy. Whatever you may have suffered by Mr. Sancho, or his illustrious master, I'll see you paid. If you will honor my house, noble knight, and be present at my daughter's wedding with this gentleman, we will do the best in our power for your entertainment. Sir, I accept your offer, and unless any immediate adventure of moment should intervene, will attend you. Oh, rare Sancho! This is brave news, Ifaith. Give me your wedding adventures. The devil take all the rest. Sure, St. Thomas, you will not take a madman home with you to your house. I have heard thee, thou ignorant wretch. Throw that word in my face with patience. For, alas, could it be proved, what were it more than almost all mankind in some degrees deserve? Who would doubt the noisy, boisterous squire, who was here just now, to be mad? Must not this noble knight here have been mad, to think of marrying his daughter to such a wretch? You, doctor, are mad too, though not so mad as your patience. The lawyer here is mad, or he would not have gone into a scuffle, when it is the business of men of his profession, to set other men by the ears, and keep clear themselves. <laughs> I don't know whether this knight, by and by, may not prove us all to be more mad than himself. Perhaps, Sir Thomas, that is no such difficult point. Air 15, Country Bumpkin All mankind are mad, tis plain. Some for places, some embraces, some are mad to keep up gain, and others mad to spend it. Courtiers we may mad men rate, poor believers and deceivers. Some are mad to hurt the state, and others mad to mend it. Lawyers are for bedlam fit, or they never could endeavor. Half the rogueries to commit, which were so mad to let em. Poets madmen are no doubt, with projectors and directors. Women all are mad throughout, and we more mad to get em. Since your madness is so plain, each spectator of good nature 
With applause will entertain his brother of La Mancha. With applause will entertain Don Quixote and Squire Sancho. End of Act 3 End of Don Quixote in England by Henry Fielding